Please join me in prayer. Our hearts are restless until they find their rest in Thee. Father, gather all of the restlessness in our bodies, our minds, and hearts right now. The restlessness in our culture that takes place in the next month or so, and just gather it all into Your rest, into Your peace, and transform our desires that we might desire what You desire. Even now, we ask that You would literally come, Holy Spirit, and cause us to desire what You desire, Father. In Jesus' name, Amen. There is a lot of love in this place. That's one thing I've learned in the last seven years. And I want to just share some little glimpses. Uh, most of that love happens under the radar without a lot of fanfare behind the scenes. And so I've not, I'm not going to mention any names. But I'm thinking of these glimpses Uh, The sister in Christ who's come out to pray for her church almost every week for the past two years, even when she goes through chemo treatments. The brother mourning painful loss of his wife who works through his grief even as he supports other other widowers in our church family. The sister who has created a new place on our campus on Sunday mornings for warm hospitality, homemade treats, and coffee. The brothers who invested countless hours coaching contractors and making sure the patio redesign came under budget. The couple who, while facing job loss and home downsizing, have joyfully invested in helping launch a community group for young families. The sister who, as she's facing the challenges of caring for aging parents, has helped start a caregiver's group. This group has become a lifeline for others who are facing the same situation. All under the radar. I've been seeing this for seven years. There's a lot of love in this place. Can anybody say amen? Amen. Have you been on the receiving end of that kind of love? It's amazing. I could list so many more, and I'm sure you could too. I just want to stop and say, Father, thank you for these brothers and sisters, for the way they make your love real to us here at WC Press. Amen? What do they all have in common? They understand that faith expresses itself in love. It's like the core of the Christian faith is that faith expresses itself in love. Unfortunately, the congregation in Corinth didn't quite connect these dots. This fall, our sermon series has been based on Paul's letter to the 1 Corinthians. In that church, Paul had a mess on his hands. Since he had planted that church and left on further journeys uh, to share the good news of the gospel around the Roman Empire, 
It had become a place of cliques, of self-appointed critics, open immorality, lawsuits, bad theology, and spiritual pride. I'm not even finished. Worship gatherings became venues for self-expression. The Lord's Supper was turned into a food frenzy. Yet Paul patiently instructed them issue by issue in his letter to the Corinthians. Even when most of us would just say, let's start over. <laughs> let's plant a new church in Corinth. His message throughout his letter is true faith and spirituality is de- demonstrated in self-giving love. And he concludes in chapter 14, which is my text today, let everything you do be done in love. And I have to explain that you is not an individual you. That you is a what? It's a y'all you. It's a y'all you. In other words, he's saying, let everything you, church, do be done in love. And what's that beautiful Greek word for love? It's a, it's a word that when the Greek writers of the New Testament were looking around to try to find a word that could contain the meaning of Christ's self-giving love, they couldn't find a word in the whole of the Greek language. So they took one and filled it with new meaning, and that word is called agape. Can you say that with me? Agape. Turn to someone and say, there's a whole lot of agape in this place. Sorry, I, I, I had the opportunity to preach in my new congregation yesterday, and they do that a lot. And I don't, Presbyterians don't always do that, but we, we had a very conversant experience. Several weeks ago, Pastor Morgan led us through the primary agape passage in, in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We often hear this passage used in weddings, but Paul's original context was he was teaching about love expressed in the congregation when he said things like, if I speak in to- of, with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have agape, I am nothing. If I have the gift of prophecy, if I can fathom all mysteries, if I have faith that can move mountains, if I give all my possessions to poor, if I do not have agape, I am nothing. And he goes on to define what agape is. Love is patient and kind. And, and then he finally ends with, now these three things remain. Faith, hope, and agape. And the greatest is? Love. Agape. But I've decided to look at the whole of 1 Corinthians. It's a really great experience. It's just to listen to one of Paul's letters or any book in the Bible in one sitting in an audio uh, version so you can really get the thrust of the whole message. And I was listening for the theme of love. And it's all over this letter. And I've discovered five love essentials. I had to pick five because you've heard of five languages of love. Well, I had to have five, right? Uh, For healthy Christian community. And because this is the last session in our time in 1 Corinthians, we're going to have a quiz. So you'll need a pencil. 
Doesn't that make you feel rested in your soul when you think of quiz? Chapters, thank you for that laugh. Uh, Chapters 1 to 4, we learn that love redefines success. If we are in Christ, our love for one another is grounded in a countercultural gospel. 1 Corinthians 2.1, for example, says, Paul says, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but upon God's power. The believers in Corinth kind of had a rating system for their leaders based on cultural criteria such as dynamism and eloquence and persuasiveness. And Paul, the apostle, did not measure up. And so they were constantly critiquing him for being weak, both in his style and his, and his message. Isn't that interesting that the apostle Paul did not measure up in Corinth? I find that intriguing. They critiqued his style, his content, yet he chose to stay on message, to focus solely on the countercultural message of a crucified rather than successful Messiah. So here's your final exam, number one. If you have a pencil, rate yourself. One to four. My love for others is shaped by the cross. One means very seldom. Two, sometimes. Three, often. Four, very often. My love for others is shaped by the cross. And then I read through chapters 5 and 6 and I realized that love is courageous. If we are in Christ, our love moves us to confront and restore one another. Chapter 5, 1 to 2, Paul says, I've received a report of scandalous sex within your church family, a kind that wouldn't be tolerated even among the pagans. One of your men is sleeping with a stepmother, and you're so above it all that it doesn't even phase you. Shouldn't this break your hearts? Shouldn't it bring bring you to your knees in prayer? Shouldn't this person and his conduct be confronted and dealt with? And then in chapter 6, He's dealing with the issue of believers taking one another down to the courts, the public courts, and suing one another. Paul says, is it possible that there's nobody among you wise enough to judge a dispute between believers, but instead one brother takes another to court? And this in front of unbelievers. Paul is exasperated at this point. Believers in Corinth apparently believed that it was loving to be tolerant of one another's sin. They saw that as love. But Paul says, love cares enough to restore a fallen brother or sister and to seek to go into those really messy, hard places where there's dispute and conflict. That's what love does. That's the work of love. Rate yourself one to four. My love moves me to confront and restore. Others. 
Don't see a lot of pencils moving in the room right now. I'm trusting you're doing a rating in your mind. I see one there. Chapter 6 and 7. Love has boundaries. If we are in Christ, our love moves us to establish healthy boundaries in our physical relationships. Chapter 6, for example, uh, Paul quotes the Corinthians. I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. Quote, I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. You say, quote, food for the stomach and stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. But Paul responds, the body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Paul's point is that every human body, every human body is created and redeemed for and by Christ. Isn't that good news? Every human body has intrinsic value and dignity and honor. This includes our God-given sexuality. And Paul is saying we honor one another by protecting this gift within its amazing boundaries of marriage and also we protect it by refusing to turn other human beings into objects. Can anybody say amen? We live in a culture of, of, of profound commodification of the human body. That's the opposite of love, when we turn a person into an object. Love has boundaries. Rate yourself one to four. My love honors physical boundaries. Fourth, love sacrifices. Chapters 8 to 11 as the theme. If we are in Christ, our love sacrifices self for the sake of the gospel. There are so many verses I could have chosen. Chapter 8, verse 9. Be careful, however, that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. Chapter 9, 3. This is my defense to those who sit in judgment on me. Don't we have the right for food and drink? Don't we have the right to take a believing wife as do other apostles? Or is it only I and Barnabas who lack the right not to work for a living? But we do not use this right. On the contrary, we put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. Chapter 10, 23, quote, he's quoting the Corinthians, I have a right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, they say, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. Our current culture, like Corinthians culture, focused profoundly on personal rights. We swim in it. It's preached to us constantly. And we sometimes bring that culture into church and we think that I have a right to fill in the blank when we come to church. My personal preference is X or Y or Z. And we kind of shop around for that which I have a right to. We take our culture into church just like the Corinthians had done. Paul says love voluntarily gives up personal rights 
for the sake of others and especially for the sake of the gospel. It's a giving up voluntarily, joyfully. It's not this sort of have to, must to, ought to, but this delight in giving up our rights for the sake of the gospel. And fifthly, finally, in chapters 12 and four, uh, through 14 of Corinthians, the theme is love builds up. If we are in Christ, our love moves us to employ our gifts to build up the church. Chapter 12, 7 says, Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. And 14.12, since you are eager for gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church. Did I do a quiz for number four, by the way? Uh, Rate yourself, I willingly give up my rights. Willingly is the key word. Not grumpily. Willingly give up my rights for the sake of others. Rate yourself one to four. The Corinthians viewed their spiritual gifts like merit badges or, or like tools for public performance. And Paul says, no, 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 you got it all wrong. They are gifts. And they're only as valuable as much as they build up the church. That's their value. He measured the, the value of gifts and how much they built up the church. Rate yourself. I use my gifts to build up Christ's church. I use my gifts to build up Christ's church. How do we grow as a community of self-giving love? Love that redefines success. Love that's courageous, that, that risks confronting to restore another. Love that has boundaries, that honors each other's physical relationship. Love that sacrifices for the sake of the gospel. Love that builds up. I was thinking of the people I listed at the beginning, and, and, and one thing they had in common is they really have a commitment that faith expresses itself in love. But I realized as I went back over that list that there was something else they had in common. It's called pain. I noticed most of them were giving out of their pain. Loss of a loved one, loss of a job, loss of a home, loss of health, loss of parents' health. They gave and kept giving generously out of their pain. In our culture, we have this sort of theory that love happens after we meet our own needs. Then love happens, whether it be in marriage family or in church or any organization, once my needs are met, then I can love others. But the gospel, the cross love, is a love that gives through the pain. Amen? Cross love gives through the pain. Christ love gives through the pain. This is agape style love that gives out of the grace we are currently receiving in the midst of our pain. And if you've been on the receiving end of this kind of love, it's, it's holy. It's like you hold it like a holy thing when someone is loving you in, through their pain. And it causes you to want to love like that and pass that on to others. Can you relate to that? Being loved through another person's pain. So I have a couple of reflection questions for all of us, including myself. Think of a way you have received love 
from someone who has known pain. Just invite you to close your eyes and, and just think about this. A way you have received love from someone who has known pain. Would you just give thanks? Give thanks to the Father for how Jesus has redeemed that person's pain and even blessed you through it. Then I encourage you to think of a place of pain in your own life. A place where you thought, well, as long as this is my own life, I have nothing else to give. You know, I'm I'm, I'm not going to be used of God because I've got this. I invite you to turn it through the cross. What would it look like for this pain to be redeemed as you turn it into love for Christ's church? As you turn and love through that pain, loving your brothers and sisters in Christ. Please join me in this prayer. I invite you to repeat after me, after each of these phrases. Father, turn my pain into love for others. Turn my pain into love for your church. Take what is broken in me and use it to build up my brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen.